Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on the broadcast, we want to do our best from the Bible to answer a question, which is the title of today's broadcast, What is Faith? One of the most significant and consequential subjects in all of the Bible is the subject of faith. This is a subject that is as commonly talked about as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's what we have in Christianity. It's a burning in our hearts towards Christ that we experience suddenly in our lives, though there was a time period in our lives prior to us having any care in the world for Him. This is a very, very important subject. Now, this word faith is a word that we use virtually all the time as followers of Christ, so much so that I think we might not fully grasp its miraculous nature simply by virtue of the fact that we use this term so commonly in our everyday language as Christians. We all talk about faith. We talk about having faith. We encourage one another to be strong in our faith and to grow in faith. But we rarely stop to consider from the Word of God exactly how miraculous this concept of faith is, where we get it, why we have it, and why there are others in the world that have absolutely no desire for the Lord Jesus Christ, no heart burning in them towards God. You might think, that you simply have faith because you were more intelligent or more cunning than another person. But the fact of the matter is, the faith that you have in Christ is absolutely of miraculous origin in your heart. And that's really what we want to consider today on the broadcast. Last week we spoke on Words of Grace on the fact that the world has but two types of people. You have the regenerated and you have the unregenerate. I enjoyed some good feedback from that broadcast, and I'm very thankful that it was a blessing to those of you who listened and were helped by that. You might consider today as a sort of follow-up message to that one, considering one of the results of being a regenerated person, faith. Now, we talked last week about the fact that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, how the gospel is foolishness to him, how there's no fear of God before his eyes, etc. The unregenerate man is a person completely void of faith. On the other hand, when a person is quickened by God, when they're regenerated, when they pass from death and sin to life in Christ— As we talked about last week, they have, as a byproduct of that, faith in their heart. Now, our job as ministers is to take what is in their heart and reveal it to them in their mind and to align what they believe intellectually with what God has wrought in miraculous fashion in their soul, quickening them when they were dead in sin to life in Christ and giving them faith. But we see examples of faith in people who couldn't actually understand anything in the Word of God. My favorite example of that is John the Baptist, who leapt for joy in his mother's womb at the salutation of the mother of our Lord. When Mary enters the room, John the Baptist, an unborn baby, leapt for joy. God had said that the Holy Spirit will overshadow him, and that 
response in him was one of faith, even before he could understand anything. Our job, again, as ministers, is to get the mind aligned up with what God has done for a person in their heart, which will be something that we close today's broadcast with. But as we talked about last week, there are but two types of people in the world, those who are unregenerate, those who are regenerate or born again, and faith is a product of being a regenerated person. The first point that we want to consider today is just that. Faith is a product of regeneration. We're going to try to define faith for you in just a moment, but before we come to that point of our thoughts today, we want to show you how broadly of a concept this is taught about in Scripture, how faith is a product of regeneration. Faith is of God in us. Now, I warn you in advance, this might be a broadcast in which you have a wow moment or an aha moment where something that you didn't fully realize before now suddenly makes sense to you. And that's what we want. That's what we go for here on Words of Grace. I want you to be encouraged. I want to teach you things that you might not know but are biblically true. Now, I don't want to teach you anything that's not biblical, and I pray to God that He would prevent me from ever saying anything that would be contrary to His Word. But I think as you study this from the Scriptures today, you'll see that this is a concept that is well attested to in Scripture, but a lot of believers in America today don't fully understand. That makes it very important to teach on, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. So point number one that we want to consider today from Scripture Faith is a byproduct of regeneration. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Notice this. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. If you call that, we believe according to the working of his mighty power. In other words, belief as a noun or as a verb is something that is a result of God's mighty power working on you. What sort of mighty power might this be? Well, the same type of power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead— What sort of power did God work in Christ when he raised him from the dead? His resurrecting power. And so we understand from this passage that belief is a result of spiritual resurrection. Remember last week's broadcast, two types of people. You're either regenerated, that is to be alive in Christ, or you're unregenerated, that is to be dead in trespasses and in sins. If you're not regenerated, if a person is yet in their sins. They are by nature the children of wrath, even as others. They are natural men. The word of God is foolishness and folly unto them. And so spiritual resurrection, that would be the new birth, regeneration, quickening, translating, being born again, that happens to a person by God's sovereign will and pleasure. And as that occurs, as a now living person in Christ Jesus, in a spiritual sense, you were a corpse, now you're spiritually alive— you believe according to, as a result of, the working of God's mighty power, the same sort of power that he wrought in Christ when he raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And so you have a resurrected soul that is enabled to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Belief is a result of spiritual resurrection. Now, that would be enough of a proof text, wouldn't it? That's very clear. Faith is a result of regeneration. You believe according to the working of God's mighty power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Christ has raised your soul from death and sin. But there are so many other passages that express this in different ways in Scripture. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so faith is a gift, and this whole salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. This is something that is of God. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In Romans chapter 12, a passage that you might have read before and overlooked, Paul is exhorting the church at Rome not to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. He writes to them through the grace of God that is given unto him, and he writes about their many spiritual gifts that they have among their members that they are to use in the service of God to the glory of Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man, the measure of faith. Now, to be very clear, that doesn't mean that everyone on the planet has faith, but the phrase every man here has reference to the church at Rome. In other words, every person in your church, listen, church at Rome, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, because God has dealt to every man among you, as it were, the measure of faith. Every person in the church at Rome had been dealt what Paul calls the measure of faith, and this measure of faith is a packaging of spiritual gifts individual to every person who's been born of the Spirit that is to be used among the church to God's glory. And so he uses the analogy of different members in one body having different roles, and then he talks about differing gifts that the church has within it. You have grace given to us to prophesy or minister or teach or exhort or give or rule or show mercy or love. There are so many different types of gifts that the church has, and as a body needs every body part to be whole, so does the church need all of these gifts functioning in strength so the church can be healthy. But did you notice what Paul referred to that as? He referred to it as the measure of faith that is dealt to us. That word dealt, think about it as the hand you're dealt in our modern language. We're dealt something. Something has been given to us. God has dealt to us the measure of faith faith has then been dealt to us. It is of God. God has given it to us, and we use it to serve him. It's the basis for all service of God. The just shall live by faith. We are to live our lives not by sight, but by faith, seeking and serving God, obeying him simply because we believe in him and we love him. In Colossians chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes that we are buried with him in baptism, where also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. I love how so many times in Scripture you see the concept of being given faith or being quickened with the resurrection of Christ, because the same power, as you saw from Ephesians 1, that raised Christ from the dead 
is the power that raised your soul from death and sin and enabled you to believe. You are quickened when you were dead in trespasses and in sins. By grace are you saved. But did you notice there in Colossians 2.12 that simple statement that we're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God? Faith is in that passage of the operation of God. Now, that word there, of, is genitive, and we'll come back to that momentarily, but it simply means that it is of God. Inasmuch as a child is of their parent, this genitive term, this is indicative of faith coming from God. We have faith because of God. It is of God in us, explicitly here, of the operation of God. God has operated on you, and you now have faith when you didn't have it before. Very plainly, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, The Hebrew writer says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the what? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. So Jesus authors faith within us. It is of him within us. Obviously, then, as you turn back to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, faith is described as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith in you is evidence in you that God has worked in you, because unless God had wrought his power in you, his resurrecting power, you wouldn't be a person whose heart burns within them for the Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't hunger and thirst after righteousness. You wouldn't leap for joy as John the Baptist did as a baby. You'd be a person who had no interest in him. In fact, you would think that this entire thing that we know as righteousness and wickedness and sin and God and Christ and heaven and hell and redemption, you would think all of that is complete foolishness. But because God has operated on you, well, you have this evidence in you of faith that attests to the fact that you're changed of him, you belong to him, and one day you'll be with him. Notice it's the substance of things hoped for. You have a hope in your heart that there is something better after this life with God that you don't earn, that you don't deserve, that you couldn't do anything to get if you had to. But it's purely by grace. You have that substance of things hoped for in your heart, which is faith. Now, lastly, and probably one of the most expected places for me to turn, is the book of Galatians chapter 5. And I intentionally saved this one for last under this first heading, if you will, of faith being a product of regeneration. In the book of Galatians 5 and verse 22, we actually read a list of the fruit of the Spirit, the byproducts of the Holy Spirit. Now, just suffice it to say, you don't have a fruit unless you have the fruit tree. I don't have apples in my yard unless I have an apple tree, and I have three apple trees in my yard. Every year, those three apple trees have flowers, those flowers are pollinated, and suddenly apples begin to grow everywhere there was a flower that was pollinated on that tree, and my children and the animals in the yard, the squirrels, they love the apples that are in the apple tree. But we have that fruit because we have that tree. I don't have orange trees in my yard, so I don't have oranges growing in my yard. The fruit of the Spirit, that simple analogy teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the tree in us that brings forth the fruit that's mentioned. And just as it is in nature, if the Holy Spirit is not in us, if we're not born again, we can't bring forth these fruits truthfully because we lack these character attributes. 
After the new birth, however, we possess this nature of the Spirit, the divine nature, as Peter calls it, having now the nature of Christ. These traits that he mentions are a part of our personality. Now, again, and to be very clear, prior to the new birth, we only have flesh birth. As we talked about last week, we're only born of Adam. And so the nature that we have, guess what type of a nature it is? Well, read verse 19, 20, and 21. The works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like, meaning there are more things here than he will list. Prior to salvation, prior to the new birth, prior to quickening or regeneration, that's the only nature we have. That's why the natural man is such a despicable creature. It's also why salvation has to be by grace, because there's no way that nature chooses God. That's why the unregenerate is the way that the unregenerate is. But after the new birth, we now have an additional nature. Now, please understand that in this life, the nature of the Spirit doesn't replace the nature of the flesh, but rather these two natures exist within us at the same time. How do you know that? Because Paul says here in verse 16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. Or as Paul would say in Romans chapter 7, that when he would desire to do good, he would do evil. He does things that he hates, and he doesn't do things that he likes. And even when he does good, evil is with him. And he ends that chapter by saying, O wretched man, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And, of course, as you know, he thanks his Lord through Jesus Christ. The only solution we have to being such a contradiction of natures within us is Christ Jesus. After salvation, you still have the nature of the flesh, but you also have the nature of the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit is greater than the flesh. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As we mortify and put to death the lusts of the flesh, we can walk in the Spirit. And that's so much of our job as ministers, to exhort people, to mortify, to put to death the lusts of the flesh, to understand a little leaven leavens a whole lump, that sin can permeate and take over our lives if we're not careful and we don't abstain from the lusts of the flesh, but rather we put them to death. Now, notice here in Galatians 5.22, as he elaborates on the fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of being born again. But the fruit of the Spirit is, number one, love. If you know a person that genuinely has love, and I don't mean a natural affection, I mean a genuine agape love, love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, according to 1 John chapter 4. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. These are divine attributes that we have as a part of our character makeup, as it were, because God has taken up residence within us. Until he does, we don't have these traits, and after he does, these are a part of our personality. We are evil, God is good, and anything good in us comes from God, to put it briefly. But notice here in verse 22, the last word there, faith, the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Now, we're talking about natures and walking in natures. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, you are made to be a partaker of the divine nature, and one of those traits that you now have is the trait of faith. And so, faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Moving on into point number two, we want to go a step further in our study of faith today. 
One helpful thing is to recognize then that faith has both a noun and a verb form. In other words, faith is a thing and believing is the practice of that thing. Does that make sense? Faith is a noun, and then as you put that noun into practice, you're actively believing. This is why you have people in Scripture that come to Jesus and and beg and plead and say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. It's why he rebukes his disciples for their lack of faith, while at the same time they're people who followed him and loved him and believed him. After the new birth, we possess faith as a noun, and then the rest of our lives we spend sorting out how to grow in this faith and making decisions based upon faith and not fear or our own will or the nature of the flesh within us. That's the battle that we have to fight from salvation on until we leave this world. And praise God, I'm so thankful to know that in the glorification, in the resurrection, when we are raised from the dead, our bodies are fully conformed to the image of Christ. We will not have this contradiction anymore, but we will be fully like Jesus for all of eternity. Faith as a noun is something that I want to define today for you. Why do you have it? After talking about why you have it, we want to look at specifically what faith is. One definition that I love to apply to faith, and I believe this is absolutely biblical, faith is the Hebrews chapter 8 heart knowledge of God. Now, Hebrews chapter 8 references the fact that every single child of God, every single covenant child Every person chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world shall know God, and they shall know him because of God, not because we teach them to know him. This is something Jesus references in John chapter 6. Isaiah would make reference to this. But let's notice it from Hebrews chapter 8. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their heart, And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Now that first statement is because of the second statement. The reason we don't say to every man his neighbor and brother, Know the Lord, is because they will all know him. All of his children, all of the spiritual Israel, out of every nation, kindred, and tongue, will know God because... God will teach them. All his children shall be taught of God, as Jesus said in John chapter 6. And that taught of God literally means taught by God himself. They're taught of God. Paul would make reference to the fact that we don't need to be taught to love one another, for we are taught of God to love one another. It's the same concept here. We know him because we are taught to know him of him. God introduces himself to his children. If you want a great example of that, we shared some on last week's broadcast, whether it be the dying thief on the cross, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, or John the Baptist in his mother's womb. God, in his time, according to his will, will reach every single one of his children, and there's nothing that anyone can do to stop that. God will save all that he chose in his son before the world began. And so we define faith as knowing God, this intimate sort of Hebrews chapter 8 heart knowledge. This is also taught by Jesus in John chapter 17, as he says, This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The knowledge of God is salvation. Salvation is the knowledge of God. And again, all of his children will know him. 
I love to point out the sovereign nature of grace in John chapter 17, directly before that, as Jesus says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee. And so Jesus came to die for the people God the Father had given him to die for, the covenant family of God, and every single person in that covenant will know Christ. That is literally eternal salvation, to know God through Christ. Another definition of faith that I have read in older Baptist writings, specifically the writings of John Leland and also the writings of James Oliphant, and based upon their reputations in their respective days, I believe that this is probably a fairly common definition of the word faith that was used by Baptists in a far more theological age. Baptists of church history would define faith in you as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is obviously borrowed from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so they will take that phrase and they will say the definition of faith is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But is there a passage of Scripture that equates faith in you with Christ in you? In other words, whatever you do by faith, you do by Christ, and because Christ is in you, you have faith. That faith you have as a noun is literally Christ's personal presence in your heart. Yes, there actually is. This is found in the book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I live by Christ in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you catch that? We live our lives by faith, and we live our lives by Christ. Not that we live, but Christ lives in us. And so Christ living in you is the equivalent of faith. You live by the faith of the Son of God. This is, again, a genitive term. We referenced that a minute ago. Faith in you is of him. Literally, faith in you is Christ in you. You live not in and of yourself, but because Christ lives in you, and this life that you live is by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Now, applying that definition, faith in you is Christ in you, that gives extraordinary power to passages like Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things. How is it that we're to do all things? Well, the just shall live by faith. And so, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Literally, Christ in you as you serve him by faith is the power by which you do anything in the service of God that's worthwhile and good. It also gives extraordinary power to the honor roll of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, through faith we understand the world's refrained by the word of God. Through Christ in you, you understand these things. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. By Christ in Abel, he offered this sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. By Christ in Enoch, Christ living in him, he was translated that he should not see death. You go through here and you read of Noah and Abraham and Sarah receiving strength to conceive. By Christ in Sarah, she received strength to conceive. And you see that all of these faith victories were victories by Christ in the person that was quickened. And so things that are done by us by faith are done by Christ in us. 
Now, point number three, and we'll be brief with this, faith is the ear by which you hear the gospel. Galatians talks about the hearing of faith. Jesus would often say, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Faith is the spiritual ear by which you hear the gospel of Christ. Hearing brings assurance, both to the conscience, but also to the mind, because of the many statements of comfort made to believers in Scripture, like John 3.16. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 tells us that God has abolished death through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He's brought that life and immortality to light through the gospel. Faith enables us to hear and believe this gospel as it's preached to us, Christ in us. The hope of glory enables us to hear it, and as we hear it, our life and immortality is brought to light It is manifested, it is exposed, it is revealed, and we have assurance of our salvation. Or, as we read so often in Paul's writings, we are justified, we are declared righteous in our conscience by faith, as we believe the promises of God as they apply to us, because Christ lives in us, we believe it, and as we believe it, our hearts are assured before God. I hope these thoughts have been a blessing to you. Consider what I say, the Lord give the understanding. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.